from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to Etch the Edges. Today, our special guest is Karen Scott Green. Now, a little bit about Karen Scott Green. She is running for Gwinnett County Superior Court Judge. We're trying to do what we always do here on Nancy Edges and lean in and have everyday conversations with everyday people who often enough do extraordinary things. And whether you guys understand it or not, running for Superior Court Judge is extraordinary. It's powerful impact. You know, in many respects, it touches our lives in ways we don't understand. So that's what we really want to talk about today. We're going to go ahead and give Karen the platform and, you know, again, have that everyday conversation, get you guys to understand what it is she's running for, why she's running and why it's so important. Karen, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Mr. Brown. How are you this morning? I- I'm doing great. Like you said, Mondays, they, they come, right? We can't do anything. Yes, they about do. Yes, <laughs> that's they that's do. something Karen and I had a little back and forth before we get started, folks. If there's one thing we know for sure, Monday is going to come. Yes. Absolutely. So please, please, please. Like I said, we just want to lean in, get straight into the conversation, right? Please, Karen, tell us about yourself. So I am a mom, a wife, an attorney. Um, and those things are the most important things in my life. Being a mom and, an, and, 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 a, and a wife are the two most important things in my life. Being an attorney is important too, but my family is my push, my motivation for the things that I do. And and so that filters into a lot of what I what I do. So my work as an attorney, I'm I do a lot of child advocate work, parent attorney work for children that are involved in the in the juvenile justice system and also for families that are involved in the juvenile court. So when children have been removed, I represent parents and I also represent children um, that have been placed in foster care or children that also um, have involvement in the juvenile justice system. And so I've seen over the years, my young, my youthful clients um, move from the juvenile justice system to the adult system. And so when they move into the adult system, um, the, the options that are available to them for services are not available to them in the adult system. Um, and so in the adult system, you have incarceration, you have probation. If they commit a crime as a youthful offender and they get pushed over into the adult system, they don't have the same array of resources um, for therapy for, um, you know, and for wraparound services to come into the home. And so as a, um, 
as a superior court judge, they have the discretion when youthful offenders come before them uh, to be able to send some of those cases back to juvenile court for, for youthful offenders that are under the age of 18. Um, with certain cases, they can't do that. But for those cases where they can do that, those cases need to be pushed back over to, to the juvenile court where juvenile judges with staff and resources can, can assist those youthful offenders. And so that is my motivation for running for superior court judge. Because too often um, when those cases do go over there, the outcome is incarceration. Right. You know, and there's no there's no avenue for these youthful offenders to actually be rehabilitated and to receive the services that they need. Because there's often when these youthful offenders are in juvenile court, there is some family trauma. There's something that has caused that young person to come before the judge. Well, let, let me ask you, Karen, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you touch on something to me that's very critical. Right. And I listen and I note as you talk about the adult system, incarceration, you know, probation, you've got systems on top of systems moving from the juvenile system to the adult system. And then you said just then the one that I personally think is most important, but clearly doesn't get enough attention. And and that's the rehabilitation system and the, the services that rehabilitation offers, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're an insider. So, you know, share with us, why why isn't that conversation happening enough? And then in addition to that, if you get the judgeship, right, like you said, you'd be able to turn some of these things back around. And we know and understand that a lot of folks out there in the constituency aren't fond of that. They prefer incarceration. They Uh prefer probation. They decry, you know, releasing criminals to go back into society. And again, the rehabilitation part gets left out, but you'd be turning some cases around and I'm quite sure some would wonder, well, who is she to do that? And what's the criteria for doing that, right? Do I want her to be my judge when, you know, I don't know, she's just trying to release criminals back into the street and we know what they look like. Okay, maybe I didn't say it out loud, but we do know what they look like. And so the original intent behind our penal system was supposed to be rehabilitation. That's right. Right. And so there are some crimes that where someone has been a repeat offender, there will be some crimes that are not going to be eligible for the, for services. Right. You know, and so I'm not talking about um, where someone has committed um, a murder or a serious bodily harm to someone. I'm talking about where a youthful offender has maybe um, stolen something, you know? And so there are options that if they're in the juvenile court system that wouldn't be available to them in the superior court. Gotcha. And so I'm, I'm not talking about where someone has done some serious bodily harm to someone or there's been a murder, you know? And they will be dealt with, those individuals, those defendants will be dealt with in our justice system the same way that our our our, our, our laws allow for, for those to be handled. And so while judges have a wide range of discretion for some crimes, right? Anywhere from probation to imprisonment, there's, there's discretion within that, within those range of options that a judge may have. And so as a, as a judge, if I were, when I am a judge, 
I would look at those options. And so nothing is a one size fit all, right? And so right. where there is room for some discretion or some rehabilitation for services to be offered, um, you know, in the court system, I would like to be able to use those options. Because not, every, not everything is a one size fit all. Absolutely. And, then, and let me ask you, leaning into discomfort on that a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, do, would you be honest and open and say that, you know, in our system, we need more of your, our ethnicity, because many of us who do pay attention, we know that there have been judges, you know, and, and it, it's all part of our, our great nation's history. But in recent times, judges who were doing the school to prison pipeline, funneling children with their expansive leeway straight into correctional systems for the purpose of profit. And that's not to say that's happening here, but we do know that, and of course people are tired of talking about it, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Bias plays a big role in how certain offenders are viewed, how their cases get adjudicated. And interestingly enough, you know, there are stories where no matter what your ethnicity, when you sit in the seat of power, it would seem, especially young black men, don't necessarily get a fair shake. And would you say that's been your observation too? And that perhaps you have a responsibility to address it? And so we we do as as a anyone involved in, in the in the justice system, from attorneys to judges, prosecutors, we all have a responsibility to make sure that justice is is meted out fairly, right? And evenly. And so we, we know that we've seen studies that have shown that there's been a disproportionate impact on black and brown folks when it comes to incarceration for the same types of crimes that other folks have committed. And so as a judge, at anyone, in, I shouldn't just say judge, anyone involved in, that ju in the justice system, it is our responsibility, it is our obligation to make sure that each litigant each defendant has a fair and impartial trial to make sure that um, our own biases don't come into play. And that when we are viewing this case, we are viewing just this case and we're not bringing our own preconceived notions, prejudice, um, baggage, baggage, because <laughs> that's part of it too, right. into that case. And so, what I, can, what I can say is that my experience, I know and understand that sometimes when a defendant is sitting in that seat or a litigant is sitting in that seat, sometimes they don't believe that they are heard and I will hear them and, and I will see them and take, their, and, and take all of that into consideration when making my, my decisions. So I wanted to ask you, Karen, because, yes. you know, when you talk about being that type of judge, you know, I, I, I will tell you from my perspective, I recognize it as a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who is going to be voting in a few weeks to either put you in or not. Right. They probably don't necessarily see it that way. So I'm hoping this helps clarify that what you're running for is very, very important. It's critical. Yes. What, and I want to take it back, right? You said you're a young lady from Broward County. What from your childhood has informed your decision to take this on? Because let's be honest, it ain't going to be easy, right? You know, this yeah. is heavy work. So what in your childhood made you decide to pick up a stick and run with it, Karen? Because it's a heavy stick. 
Well, you know, first off, I had awesome parents um, that were involved. They were involved in the community. Um, I remember um, being one of the first generation, like I started elementary school in 1975. So it was right before starting elementary school that um, our community school was being closed down so that we were being bused into a, an all white community so that we could go to school. And they were closing down our neighborhood school. And I remember my mom, my dad, and the, the other adults in our community, they didn't take that line down. Like they went to the school board. They were activists before we knew what activists were. Right. And so they stood up for what was right. The school got closed anyway, but I, I vividly remember being at that school board meeting with my mom and my dad and, and everyone in my community fighting to keep that school open. So I saw champions around me standing up for what is right. And my girl, I was a Girl Scout and my Girl Scout troop leader happened to be in law school while she was, um, while she was, uh, you know, organizing and, 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 and was our, our Girl Scout troop leader. So she was one of my sheroes. And I make sure I tell her that every chance I, I get the opportunity. Awesome. Because she's still practicing today. So, you know, I saw, I saw men and women that looked like me being advocates in the community. They may not have had the title of attorney, but I saw them standing up for what is right. And that was my model. Right. You know, so that and, and that's the that's the the shoulders that I stand on for people who stood up because I grew up in an, in an all black neighborhood um and in all that community and i saw these people who didn't just take things lying down like they advocated for their children they advocated to try to keep their school open and um they fought that hired an attorney uh so that's 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 the legacy that i i stood on and so when i became an attorney because i wanted to model myself after my mentor uh, Ruby, yeah my shiro and um, I, I, I just wanted to do what she did. And she was active in the community, still is active in the community, even though she's no longer living in our community, she's still active. Uh, and so I just, like I said, I've seen, I've seen models um, of how you, how you be, a, how, how to be a good citizen. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. that's, you know, and so when I moved here to Atlanta, um, my early years of being married, because I was a I was a teen mom, um, and so a lot of my time went into just the doing, you wow. know, being being a student, being a mom, finished law school, got a master's, then got married, had two more kids, and part of anything my kids were involved in, we were involved in. So I was a I was a, a scout leader, a boy scout leader with my husband. Um, I even coached soccer. Never played soccer <laughs> in my life. Coached soccer. Um, got involved in the church. You know, was involved in in the youth ministry. Was involved in the children's ministry and and um, and nursery. So anything that my kids were involved in, we became involved in. One of my children is on the autism spectrum, so I became involved in um, in in advocating for him at school, and that's how I started doing special education law. So my service to the community has been through what I, where I saw a need. And that's, that's the model also that I, I grew up watching. So where I saw a need. And then um, in the last few years, being involved in, in juvenile court 
and then also being involved with organizations that were committed to stopping the school to prison pipeline. Absolutely. You know, what's what's the most egregious thing you saw while serving the, the community from a juvenile court perspective? What shocked you? I would have to say probably what shocks me right now is the level of um, young people with serious mental health diagnosis yeah. and the lack of real solutions, long-term solutions to be able to assist them because they're not going to be kids forever. Right. Right. And so that saddens me because I don't know that we've gotten this right yet. Yeah. Because these will end up being, they will end up being adults and there's, I'm children with, you know, schizophrenia with, you know, bipolar, um, manic episodes. And so um, I'm not sure that we've gotten it right. We've gotten, gotten them medicated, but as far as like the services that are long-term that are going to help them, we're still trying to right. get that high. And so that, that saddens me because I know statistically, you know, adults with mental health issues are tend to have a higher, tend to be overpopulated in our prison, tend to be overpopulated in the homeless community. What do you so, say to folks who say, well, I get that, but I don't think we can afford it. You know, where, 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 where is the funding for these services gonna come from? It, I mean, I'm not a social worker, but yeah. <laughs> it, if, if we don't fund it on the front end, we'll end up funding it on the back end. Excellent so, answer, Karen, excellent answer. Yes, we'll end up building more prisons. Yeah. You know, we'll end up, um, our social services will be overrun because we're having to provide mental health services to them as adults, you know, when they go to communities, you know, community services, or they'll be using um, the hospital for, you know, when they're having a, a health, a mental health crisis. Yeah. So if we don't, if we don't deal with it on the front end, we'll end up dealing with it later when it's costing us, the taxpayers, a lot more money. I love, I lo I love your answer. I was hoping that's exactly what you were going to say. It's one of my internal mantras too. Yeah. And I see that in many respects, I tell this to people when just in, you know, regular conversation, casual conversation, when we're leaning on a topic like this, if you don't invest in it on the front end for efficiency and optimization, you're going to wind up paying cleanup and paying Absolutely. cleanup is always more expensive. Not to mention lives get sometimes lost in the cleaning up. Yes. And when we're talking about children with schizophrenia who become adults with schizophrenia, Thankfully, because of the phone and modern web 2.0 tools, and unfortunately, we get to see how a lot of those engagements turn out. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty. And I like to say it in a way that makes sense to some people who may be ideologically opposed to my perspective. To me, it's un-American. You know, mm. if a kid is going down the street and they don't understand you or they're having an episode, that is not a good reason for them to catch a bullet. Yeah. It simply isn't. That's not how this thing should work. That's un-American. We can do better. And I think we all can do better. You know, I really do. I think we all need to be more educated on how that interaction should take place, what should happen when someone is having, and how to identify 
when someone is having a mental health crisis. Absolutely. So, um, I, I think as a, as a society, we all need to do better. Absolutely. You know, I don't want to just put it on the backs of, of law enforcement because law enforcement are, they're human just like you and I, right? They're, they're men and women just like you and I. So if they haven't been provided with the tools, the resources, the skills, the education to know how to identify when someone yeah. is having a mental health crisis, then we're only going to get some of the outcomes that we've seen. We're going to slide so, further back. Yeah. So I, I think some of the issues have to, when, on, on those encounters, this is just me personally speaking. I think some of it just has to be, I think some, some of it is just that they have not been provided with the information. Yes. You know, and we, society at large, has to do a better job. Like you as Joe Citizen, me as Joe, Joe Citizen, needs to know how to identify these things and what that looks like. And so that officers will also know, or anyone coming in contact with someone having a mental health crisis will know, okay, this person is, is, is having an episode. We need, to, we need to get some mental health professionals in here Absolutely. rather than, you know, which is why I applaud communities that are setting up these alternatives to 911 so that they can have, um, have, have someone come out that can help the officers because there is some element of danger too. We have to recognize that. Yep. That if someone is 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 um there, I should say there could be an element. Yeah. So I think the two have to work hand in hand where you've got someone that that is a trained professional that can go along to these calls where a family member, because often it's a family member who's calling saying, my person's in crisis. Yeah. So, you know. Or they're attacking me and they have yeah, a they, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when there's someone in immediate danger, there has there, there needs to be a balance too, but we have to make sure that our officers are, are trained Absolutely. and that they have what they need to, so that they can be safe and that the, um, that, the, that, the, that the loved one who's having the episode also comes out safe as well. Absolutely. And then gets gets to the hospital so they can get the treatment that they need. I'm totally right there with you, Karen. And I and I'm, I'm actually I, I don't mind saying sometimes I feel obligated and, and I smile when I when I say it. I'm not uh and like I said with our ethnicity, it, mm. it's not often necessarily a popular thing to say. But I'm not a defund the police fan. Okay, I think it's the wrong thing to say. I started going from refund, but I was like, no, that's not the right word. <laughs> I think it's right fund. Right fund. Okay, you gotta you gotta understand the fact that the job is hard, like you said. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, a lot of folks don't think that officers should be educated to certain levels. And, you know, uh, despite what some people think, what I found in Gwinnett County, especially in my city of Sewanee, we've got highly educated individuals serving as officers. And you need that. They need the right training, like you said. And then now they need that additional support, like you're calling Mm -hmm. out for these social issues. They, a lot of them don't get paid enough to do the job, to be quite honest. And yes, this is not to discount the ones who, are wrong, who do wrong, we mm-hmm. get that. But the outcome would be so much better if we try to close this divide between us, have the right conversations and spend the right amount of money to yeah. get the job done. At the end of the day, I think that gets us a whole lot further than this desire to completely destroy 
the social services and uh, the law enforcement apparatus when we know that there are ways of getting things done better if we apply the right amount of critical thinking. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't that doesn't preclude us from we now the bad guys. The mm-hmm. bad guys got to go. I don't care how many of them there are. We, we get that. Prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. But you can't lose sight of the fact that there are those there trying their damnedest to do the job. Mm-hmm. And not getting paid, uh, you know, to maybe the commissary level to do it, let alone getting the training. These are all things we should consider. Absolutely. 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 I, I totally agree with you. We've, we've got to make sure that officers are properly trained, that they continue to be trained. It's yes. not like going to uh, an eight hour class one time. This right. is, let's, let's continue to make sure that they have the training that they need so that they can deal with these situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's get us back on track. Right? We're supposed to be talking about Karen on Karen. So, okay, Karen, uh, let's lay it out there. Put it up, uh, up front, face front. Why should I vote for you? You should vote for me because I have 27 years of legal experience. I've done an array of, of um, different legal things. I've, I've, my career has been varied. So I've worked in um, the civil arena, I've done criminal law, I've done bankruptcy, real estate, juvenile law. I've, I've done an array of things. Um, my passion happens to be young people, which is why I've narrowed the focus of my practice um, to special education and juvenile law. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I've had an array of ex- legal experience, um, I understand uh, the civil side and I understand the criminal side because I've represented defendants on the criminal side. I've never done prosecution, but I have been a defense attorney. Got it, got it, nice. So that's that's why. And I bring in my life experiences with that as well. You know, being a mom, um, being a mom of three, three brown sons that I understand, you know, what parents fear. You know, because I fear the same things when our children leave out of the house and they may and you're talking to them about how to interact when they come in contact with the police. Right. So I'm, I'm here to say that I, I understand that I'm a part of that. You know, and so I bring that experience with me and it's been a, a wife, being a mom, being someone who's been involved in the community. I am Gwinnett. I've been in Gwinnett for 19 years now, going on, yeah, 19 years. Um, so I've been involved in the in the community, and I and I understand because I'm a fellow Gwinnettian, right? Who has the same concerns as the next mom, the next dad that has concerns for their kids, uh, you know. So I I understand, and I have I bring that experience with me into the courtroom every day when I'm dealing with families, when I'm dealing with your students, when they have tribunals and disciplinary um, disciplinary actions. I represent kids um, before school boards when they go for disciplinary hearings. So I understand all of that and bring that breadth of knowledge with me. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, from a, a contrarian standpoint, right, you, you've got some constituents in the area who would probably look at you and say, well, I don't know. And you know, you, you, you're, you speak a great deal about 
you know, being a parent that recognizes and has the experience of other parents, other mothers. But what do you say to the mother who doesn't look like you or I, or, you know, they're not our ethnicity? You know, if they go to the voting booth and they're thinking, she's going to be all about Black people. And I don't, I mean, I'm white. What does that mean for me? But your child is my child, and my child is your child. And regardless if your child is Black, brown, white, Hispanic, whatever, every parent has some of the same basic concerns for their child. Even if you are a white mother, you're an Indian mother, you're concerned about your child when they leave the house, whether or not they're going to be safe or not. And if someone does harm to them, you're going to be concerned, will that person be brought to justice, right? That's universal. That's universal. Absolutely. You know, other things that, that, that superior court judges do are divorces, adoptions. That's universal, you know? Civil matters. I mean, that the criminal law is not the only thing that judges hear, right? Right. And so, you know, when you're involved in uh, a dispute with your neighbor over your property line, that's universal. That's not black. That's not white. And those are the things that superior court judges hear. And I've and I have experience doing, you know, representing landowners. I have experience doing real handling real estate matters. That knows no color. Absolutely. Your land is green. Your money is green. Land and your money are both the same color. Right? They're both the same color. And so when it comes to contract disputes or you're you're arguing with your neighbor over something that has to come to court, that knows no color. Absolutely. Yeah. The show is called Itchy Edges because we have to close the ideological divide. And I I, got to tell you, Karen, you know, I, I pray sooner rather than later that one day the day arrives well, I don't have to lean in and even ask that question. You, mm. know, you know, it's wearying, but it's the questions that have to be asked, right? Because no, and, and, and that's I where understand. we are. I understand because um, when someone is running the, and, and constituents are looking, voters are looking at who to vote for, they want to make sure that that person is going to, is, is going to be fair to everyone, not just someone that looks like them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can, and I, and I know that I can, I can be that person who's going to be fair to everyone that walks into my courtroom. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me ask you, Karen. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're deep into it, you know, and let's say you win, you got the seat, you're wearing the robe. What's the first thing you're looking to do? What, what, what is the, what's the strategic plan for Karen with the gavel in her hand. The Karen with the gavel in her hand would like to work with the district attorney um, to see what sort of programs we can put in for youth. Um, So that there's a program that DeKalb, um, Judge Sasha, Asha Jackson started that I would like to model in in Gwinnett, Um, but I would need buy-in from community and also buy-in from the district attorney's office. And um, what it would do is it would allow someone who's a first-time offender to have some alternative, and it's, they have mentors. And so it's a program that's, like I said, that Judge Asha Jackson has has, has started um, there in DeKalb, and I would like to model that in Gwinnett. 
Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Is there any place you could go to get some additional details on that program? I don't have it on my website, uh-huh. but um, what the name of it? Um, it is on the Cab County's website. I'll put some more information on it That's on perfect. my website. That's perfect. And when you and when you do that, shoot it over to me. Okay. And I'll make sure to post it when we post the episode. Okay. Yeah, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. So then I, I wanted to, because that's uh, we love we love talking about that. That goes directly to the uh, the offenders, the litigants themselves. What do you say about the environment, and how can the apparatus of justice and government help address some of those situations? Because you know you're the judge, and the the action has already been taken. But we know the approach to trying to correct some of these situations is holistic right? It's, it's mm-hmm. politics and policy, painfully enough. And it's a perspective thing. We've got to understand the kid committed the crime here. What does here look like? And if we put them through the program and they come back out and they go back to the same place, what are the odds of recidivism? Will they wind up doing the same thing again if the environment is the same? Is there anything from your perspective in your position that you could partner with or do, because it, it, it's, it's the parents, right? It's community too. Yeah. And these things are not mutually exclusive, but we spend an enormous amount of time always working the symptoms instead of trying to kill off the disease. Often enough, the disease as simple as where they are. What's mm-hmm. it like around here? It's simple to say, hard to address, but do you have a perspective on that? So I, I, do, I do believe that it takes um, community buy-in. It takes the parents. Um, it takes all of us. We've, folks laughed when um, they talked about it takes the village. You know, they yeah. thought it was kind of hokey, but it does. Mm-hmm. It, it takes community buy-in. It takes folks to say, I will stand up and be a mentor. I will stand up and be involved with this group of young people. You know, um, Maybe we break it up into clusters within a school district, you know, of where we can have mentorship programs. But I, I do believe that it, it takes the entire community and, and parents need to be able to buy into it as well because they need to be able to get their young people to these programs. And so we need the, we need the buy-in from the parents to say, okay, this is something that I want to be a part of to make sure that my young person doesn't fall between the cracks. Absolutely. So we can get the the schools involved. But I I, going back to the program that um, Judge Jackson started um, in reading about it. And I wish I had that pulled up prior to the the program. Um, But she states um, she has stated that she is a she does not see these young people come back before her once they go through the ones that complete this program. Nice. So there are things that work. Yeah. And we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's look and see what some other communities have done. Absolutely. You know? But yes, yeah, so um, we don't, things have been done, have been tried and true, have been practiced and we've seen results. And so let's look at those programs where other folks have seen results and let's model what they've done. You know, we, we may need to make it unique to Gwinnett, but if someone has already done it, let's, take a closer look at it and see how we can bring that to Gwinnett County, particularly where it's been effective. Yeah, folks are fond of, like you said, and and it's unfortunate, but true, you know, the sayings are hokey, you know, 
Um, let's not reinvent the wheel, but it, it rolls. It, it, mm-hmm. it works. And, you know, it does take a village, right? Yeah. You know, as time and eras have changed, we seem to have forgotten that. And yeah, it, it's like, it's not cool. Well, the problem is, how did that happen? When did it not become cool to be my brothers, my sisters, my, 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 my friends down the streets, child's keeper? Yeah. Because that works. That works. It, it does. It, it does. We all have a collective responsibility, particularly as adults to young people. Absolutely. And I was thinking about it, too. And, and I was wondering, Karen, from a judge's perspective, you know, we often, or I'll be honest, I, you know, it's only every once in a while that I've seen a story where they've had a judge on TV or something and they're marketing a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, and I've brought this up on the program before, and it's an old trope, but it's it, it, it's real. You know, when good things happen, they need marketing. You know, folks like to call it when it comes to government propaganda, because that's what it is. But yeah. it has a negative connotation when you call it that. But folks need to know when good stuff is done, right? You're right. And, and if you're, you're right. engaged in these activities and you pick up this program from DeKalb, you know, I, I, it's a money thing. I don't know what it is, but folks need to know. Yeah, I need to know because that moves hearts and minds. So I would just I would really like to say, Karen, if you, you know, if if you can find a way once you're in position to say, OK, and it, it can't just be on on the website or something like that. I mean, somebody needs to put a couple of Facebook ad dollars. Behind yeah. it, have it on YouTube or something. Right. Because that's where we can start to see the kids. Yeah. Up, yeah. You know? I, I, I know in my heart that works, but I also know factually it works because at one point I did a lot of that for a living (laughs) and you know for the economic imperative to the profit margin and the bottom line works wonders but we're human beings it it doesn't just work for product (laughs) you know it works for people too (laughs) the government has not always been very successful in tooting its own horn about some things yeah um and so sometimes our idea about what government does is just through the lens of what it has done wrong. Exactly. Versus what it has done right. And so you're right, programs like this do not get a lot of press. And so, you know, maybe perhaps courts may need to do a, a little bit more outreach to let communities know yeah. um, what some of the efforts are and, and what are some of the programs and initiatives that have been initiated either by the, the, the district attorney's office, the solicitor's office, um, with, you know, or by the, by the judges themselves. That's what I'm talking about. And, I, and, and to be quite honest, I, I was one of those people way back. It's, it's hard to believe it was way back. <laughs> 2006, 2007, you know, after reading Barack Obama's book and, you know, mm-hmm. watching, you know, how uh, Karl Rove ran what could be best called a, a, a propaganda department out of the White House. You know, you we get into the last half century of this permanent campaign mode. And, you know, Barack wrote, you know, we got to get out of the campaign mode and start governing. And that's when you yeah. shut all that down. But then these these phones, these 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 channels, these apps, you know, we became insatiable beyond 24 hour news for the consumption of data, of information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they're not providing it, we go to who is. And like you said, there's a preponderance of negative stuff out there. We don't talk about what's good. That's why so many people don't believe it's government for the people by the people. 
Yeah. But we're going to be electing you. We're going to be my and, judge. I need to know what you do. Yeah. Good or bad. <laughs> and but we we each of us is the government. That's because right. we are the people. So, you know, if you don't vote, you have no say at all. You know, and as I've been on the campaign trail, I've I've heard some people tell me, oh, I only vote during the presidential election. It's like, well, <laughs> if you only vote during presidential elections, you're you're missing voting out on your county commissioners. You're missing out on voting on if you live in a municipality, you're missing out on voting for your mayor, your council person. All that. You know, all of that in your governor. If you're complaining I mean, about the sidewalk not in your neighborhood, well, you ain't exactly. ever gonna get it. <laughs> These are the things that have the most impact on someone's life. Exactly. On your day-to-day life. Like, you know, voting for who is president. And vice president, that's important. Right. But to have the most impact on your life, it's your local elections. Absolutely. And so I'm finding myself telling that to people more and more um, as I'm on the campaign trail. Like this, we've got local elections this year. We sure do. In 2021, people, I, I mean, I'm, I live in unincorporated Gwinnett, but for those folks that are living um, in municipalities, mm-hmm. when you're complaining about your 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 local you're, you're complaining about your mayor you're complaining about your streets you're complaining about the street like that sidewalk you want that, that sidewalk you want why doesn't your neighborhood have sidewalks well go talk to your council people that's right that's right oh, yeah. that traffic light around the corner the fact that things don't seem to move or flow the way you want yeah. old saying all politics is local, local. is real it's yeah. real and it's sad but clearly we have to go through this entire education thing to get folks to understand that. And like I said, you know, I remember thinking, I remember through four years of President Obama's first term, I'm like, I got what he was saying, but he's missing the mark, you know, and he doesn't want to have a political office in the White House where you keep campaigning. The last president made it a whole brand new art form. He started rallies and he never stopped. And, And apparently he's still doing them and even as people are dying, but that, that's not, we're not here to talk about that. That's something else entirely. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the truth is, no matter what you call it, the message in this environment of insatiable desire to consume information, it has to keep going. You get elected in office, the stories have to be told. You do a good thing, you start a good program, the story has to be told. And to your point, it is the responsibility of all of us you know, full free disclosure. I'm a member of the Gwinnett County Democratic Party. I'm a post seat holder. And the fact of the matter is, I know that it's absolutely critical that you tell the story. And I highly encourage those on the other side of the divide to tell the stories too, not lies, the stories, just the stories. Because what we really eventually want, we don't want all one side. Clearly, we don't need that in any election or in, po- in any policy. What we want is for and against why critical thinking, let the thing play out in the crucible and get good policy. It's not going to be all me. It's not going to be all you, but the compromise can't be fake. It has to be real policies that work for all of us to the best of our ability in the places where we dwell, where we live, where we thrive, and then move on to the next. And don't forget to tell the story. We got to always do that. Well, Karen, I want to go ahead and give you the last word. Anything else you want to say? What's critically important? Don't forget to mention your website because folks got to make those donations. Absolutely. So my website is Vote Pay Green, V-O-T-E-K-G-R-E-E-N-E 
votekgreen.org. That's votekgreen.org. And you can make contributions on the website. You can also purchase merchandise. I have lovely t-shirts and masks. I saw those. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, and if you want to make, if you want to make your contribution through Cash App, you can also do that at uh, dollar sign vote for number four, K Green 2022. All right. And I just want folks to know that I will take my 27 years of legal experience and work for them. My tagline is working for justice. And that really is what my career has been about. Yeah. Absolutely. Children working for families um, and working for the community. All right. Working for justice. I can't think of a better way to end it. Thank you, Karen. It has been a wonderful conversation and hopefully we can have you back again sometime. We continue the mission of etching the edges on facts and truth. Having conversations, everyday conversations with every kind of people, conversations that matter, that share the stories so that we can lean in and better understand each other. We'd like to thank Karen Scott Green for taking the time to talk to us about her mandate, her mission, her story of a life of activism and support for the people in her community. A quality as good as gold that she learned from her parents. And now she wants to use those lessons to bring justice and equity to the people of Gwinnett County. We know all politics is local. We say it again and again. We have to, to remind ourselves. And we would ask our listeners to make sure you engage in your community and vote. And if you happen to live in Gwinnett County, vote Karen Scott Green for Superior Court. And of course, we can't forget, we have to thank you, our listeners, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. So please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Itch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at itchtheedges.com. Check us out. Join the movement. Express your commitment to the cause. Cause for a better America, a better world. Where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.